0: What up, Connor? What up? we going to try different uh, audio levels tonight. Oh, okay. Where is uh, it? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to just record it lower and boost it after I record it instead of recording higher and lowering and see if it can be every Sunday, but... mm. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. Bro, I fried some chicken today. I don't know if
1: you've heard of the uh, chain uh, raising canes, but they have like the sauce
0: that's fire, and it made that too. And it honestly, it slapped. Wait, you just like googled the recipe? Like they get? Through? Yeah, it's pretty easy. I didn't know you could get like restaurant recipes off there. Well, I saw like three or four years ago, some chick like got uh, fired from there and like threw it up on Twitter.
1: like <laughs> <it was> <laughs> fuck y'all, your secret
0: recipe. <laughs> It honestly it's very extremely close to the real thing. It's fire. Is this sad that I know exactly what you're talking about? Because I remember that happening. And <laughs> I agree. raising Cane's is uh is pretty good. Okay. And man, Yeah, that was so funny. That's, yeah, that's a recipe. They don't have any of those near here. We got like Nando's, KFC, Popeyes and stuff. I've never heard of that. We don't we don't got any of like the southern chains uh the TMP area. We don't have like uh what what is it? Roscoe's Yeah, okay. Oh Roscoe's is gas. I went to the uh, super super like the most ghetto one you could down in Eaglewood to make sure it was the most authentic. Yeah, <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> yeah but uh where I'm at an O C uh they just put a canes in. So like there's literally Canes and a Chick-fil-a across the street. It's so funny. Are they the one doing, like, the, they're trying to do, like, mainstream Tennessee hot chicken or whatever? Uh, no, just tenders, and that sauce is pretty fire. Who's, who's the like one that sauce. moved out to California is, like, doing the Tennessee hot chicken thing? What Ah, uh, I don't know. I'm not a spicy guy, I'm pretty white. <laughs> 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 uh, that's the based Yo, everyone, everyone that's listening in right now, uh, it would be a huge help if you guys could like and retweet the the space feed, the space feed tweet that I, that I just put out The top one on my timeline. If you guys could all retweet that, just get everyone hyped up for CLG to come in here. It'd be huge. Bro, the shit Mark and Nate were talking about last like, night was crazy. Dude, last day's episode was insane i wasn't expecting that to go for like three hours to be honest yeah i, <laughs> I thought to be in there for three hours. they were so chill he was like yeah I, i've got shit to do i'll just chill with you guys because I I, I I feel like they don't get to talk about it outside of work you know what i mean yeah for sure i saw them i saw them on another space like nate was jumping around on some spaces throughout the day i saw him popping in different different spaces but yeah i mean Mark dude is like super passionate about Bangor. I've never uh you can tell he loves the project. You can tell. He's like he's in it. And if
1: they
2: you guys didn't select bombs last night in like a very yeah. casual way too. That that was a great episode. You I wasn't expecting that you either. Yeah, no, you're good. I was just saying that um Mark and Nate, I mean, they dropped some like serious uh, truth bombs tonight. and like in a very casual way. I feel like they had, there's a lot of stuff that we heard that wasn't really well known. And uh, I just, it was appreciated.
0: Yeah, something I really appreciated him elaborating on is kind of like uh, I mean, I've read the white paper over and over again, but I just can't really comprehend some of the things in the white paper of like, Uniswap v3. And like the difference of Uniswap V3 and Bancor V2 and just, I don't know. He simplified AMMs like to a level that like just made entire sense. And I've been rereading these AMM white papers for like weeks and months. And I'm just like, what, is it, what are they talking about? And then like in one like conversation, he's like, made it all make sense. 100%. Yeah. Um, why have you guys actually in here? Uh, we're just going to keep the questions to like five minutes. So, if I do like the fist emoji, that just means like, uh, be quiet, we're moving on to the next question type of thing. Awesome, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Crack, if you want to stay in here, you can, bro. Totally up to you. But yeah, Mark was, I mean, Mark I mean, was I mean, sad he couldn't break his NDAs. He was like, I want to tell you guys so bad. Yeah, man, I, I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm kind of excited to see what, what's in, what's in the, what's the future for them because it seems like DeFi is just the first stop. You know, once you have that protocol and you have all that liquidity um, and you have that like common unit of account, it, there's really kind of the sky's the limit on um, which you could build on top of that. Yeah, I don't know, something 100%. that blew my mind was like how like people are leaving science for DeFi and crypto just because they can't. They can't get like the patents or the money or the approval in like the traditional science space and going through governments and stuff. But in DeFi, if you have a good idea, you're pretty likely to be funded. And if you don't have funding, you kind of create it yourself. I thought that was really interesting. That like, I don't know. I've always assumed that like this whole brain drain is a uh, financial base. But he said like, I mean, his opinion was that it doesn't really have anything to do with the money Is these people want their projects to be able to have a platform. And um, he was just talking about how many great scientific ideas get shot down by local governments or funding projects get shut down and how like, it's just a huge incentive to switch to blockchain because you can get funding from strangers that believe in you instead of having to go to like your local government for approval.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, I truly kind of believe that 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 is the future. Um, you'll kind of be able to go straight to market, and it'll be a meritocracy economy to where, uh, you know, like the best ideas kind of rise to the top. Yeah, and he
0: mentioned like all the top, just top emerging projects, like curves ran by like a nuclear physicist. Um, he, he's in machine therapy and he's running Bancor and stuff. So, like, you don't have to be in finance to have a good idea in space. What up, Krafta? Hey, Crafto, if you want to be a speaker, brother, you're more than welcome to be a speaker. I think you'd have a lot of uh, good points. Super high here. Every time you speak, you're chopping up and not coming through, by the way. Yeah, the past few times you've tried to talk, it hasn't come through What's that? Uh, who's making that background noise? Could be me. I don't know. Let I me mean, know if it goes away.
2: It might, might be me on YouTube, too. Um, I have to tell you guys, last night was extremely informative. And to have those guys talk about the way they did about Chainlink, I'm so fired up, guys. <laughs> Let's go. I can't even begin if I can tell you how fired up I am about that. I mean, it's what we all know, but these guys are ingrained in projects, ingrained in DeFi, ingrained in science, ingrained in the blockchain. It's not some keyboard warrior that does TA out, you know, in his mom's basement and bashes chain like. No, this is a whole another perspective. And it just reaffirms what we all know. It is very true. I mean, the fruition is going to happen
0: quicker than you guys think. Hundred well, percent. All, all they kept saying up. is, "Chainlink's the only solution." Chainlink's the only solution. Chainlink's the only solution. But they they're not working with anyone else on this shit. Yeah, that's all. That's all there is.
2: Yeah. Let alone just the scale that's going to happen. And you know, I've architected. Many huge uh, software solutions for monstrous organizations, whether it be civil or private or, or governments. But I'm, I'm telling you, with what these guys are referring to, we're going to reap the rewards like nobody's business.
0: Yeah, something Nate Mark mentioned, they have $21 billion worth of investments pending to be added to the Bancorp network, but the local governments that want to get that 21 billion into the network are having trouble legally passing that. So it's just like another early signal, but he was literally able to tell us the pending volume that they have over their head once the legislation passes and 21 billion is not a small
2: amount of money. So, you know, you take that in regards, okay, these guys have made this much already they're not struggling they don't need to promote they don't need to hype anything and they're just as stoked about it as we are so that just tells you know uh, speaks
1: volumes
0: yeah and what he kept saying is like they're aware they made the best restaurant in town right in their DeFi space but now that they're past making the best restaurant in town, their shift is focused on how do you get people aware that it's the best restaurant, right? So I think that's an interesting path to see how they promote something that they know is great without spending too much money, but also like you said, you said everyone who's been to the restaurant enjoys it and recommends other people, but compared to the competition down the block, we're not getting they're not getting what they'd like. So I think that's how they tackle growth and a uh, marketing. It's going to be really interesting um one of the things that he brought up was like a trading competition that they're about to host um so yeah i don't know i think how DeFi markets itself is going to be really fascinating i think i doubt we'll see many like i don't know maybe i'm wrong but i doubt we'll see many cable tv commercials and stuff i think it'll be more like what Bank is trying to do with the trading uh training competitions and the uh bnt shirt nft just doing alternated solutions that we haven't seen before and just seeing how effective they are. Like you said, they, they don't, they're not in a rush to be number one. They know what they've made. They know it's good. They're just trying to figure out the most efficient way to grow it.
2: And there's going to be aches and pains with growth, you know, and, and forming or pioneering, I should say, a new technology, a new way to do finance, a new platform to scale into anybody that's going to think different and think it's going to be perfect is just misleading themselves you know i don't know man i'm just looking at this and going holy shit i mean we we have
1: top tiers telling us you need to pay attention because this is all shifting 100
2: percent crafter i think we're going to get started guys Uh um Really, really
0: excited, guys, to bring you guys Chainlink God and Yoda. This is a completely different episode than what we've traditionally done on the space. Uh, Just a reminder for the speakers: if you guys see me do the fist emoji, that means it's time to move on to the next question. We're going to keep it to five minutes. Um, Chainlink guys, you just want to do maybe a quick introduction, and then we'll have Coin Yoda uh, hop into the questions. Yeah,
3: sure. So I I don't know how much of an introduction I need. I think most of y'all. Probably know who I am, but for those who don't, I'm I'm Link God, like the uh, community ambassador of the community. If you haven't seen my tweets, then I'm not sure if you're actually on
0: Twitter or not. So, yeah, I'm happy to spread the knowledge that I have in this format. Pleasure to have you on, Jalen God. You're awesome. Um, Yoda, if you want to, if you want to take We're it away with my the first question.
4: Hello and welcome to the first Coin interview on the base space. Thank you all for coming out to watch me interview community legend, Changling God. This is going to be a very fun episode, so I hope you all enjoy. Let's get started. Changling God, my first question for you is where and how did you first hear about
1: Chainlink, link did you see its full potential from first glance or did it take you some time to warm up to the
4: project i don't think i'm gonna get used to that voice um
3: so i first heard about Chainlink in like in the middle of 2018 so it kind of provide some context i kind of got into crypto in like 2017 when it was all over the media and That was when I saw crypto mining—that you could just push a button on your computer and then bitcoins come out. I thought that was pretty intriguing, just to have money pop out. And it kind of went into that rabbit hole, and eventually came across Ethereum and smart contracts. And at that time, in the early 2018, I didn't really get how these contracts were supposed to change the world if they couldn't connect to the external world. That didn't really intuitively make sense to me. But uh, in like the middle of 2018. I I was using like R slash cryptocurrency with my news, but it was it was terrible. Yeah, I got I got no information from it. I, I I really don't I don't recommend it. But I, I eventually found my way across biz on the business and finance board on, on 4chan, and I don't know like if it's like a miracle or not or just a coincidence. But like the first thread that I read about Chainlink, it was like a twenty page document that was like the the most maximum link pill that I could have gotten at the time, pretty much just diving into the entire protocol, diving into the enterprise use cases, like kind of like a big picture thing. And it was like the maximum knowledge about Chainlink I could have gotten at the time. So for me, it clicked instantly when I read that paper. And then I, I read that and then I went to the white paper and like this was before the chain link, the Chain.link website existed. This was before their Twitter account had any activity. So they were basically a literal who project, like rank 127. But I pretty much went all in, like monetarily and like energy wise into Chainlink. Once I understood like the the, the actual uh, implications of Chainlink for the broader space. So I pretty much jumped in head first. I'm not sure how many other people dove in that way. I think for most it was like more of a gradual step by step. But for me, it was like pretty much head in, like full link pool full link pill maximum and so ever since then i've kind of just been trying to give back to the community trying to like deliver administer my own link pills my own way so yeah i i dove into chain like like full full 100 basically
0: that's amazing chain like, god is there i'm curious like when you were on 4chan you read that that initial article was there anything that just made your eyes light up when you first saw it it
3: was it was really like the enterprise application of it it's like it kind of i don't remember like the exact what exactly it said but it kind of went step by step like you have a shipment agreement you sign the contract with docusign the docusign chain link node would upload that to the contract and then the chain link node would track the gps coordinates of the package over time and then the like swift chain link connection would verify the payment it's like it kind of just made it clear like Every single component of an enterprise smart contract needs chain link between every connection, like every step of the contract, chain links evolved in some way to get the data from the real world. So that's kind of what stood out to me. Like It was like the grand vision of chain link smart contracts at scale being used to power the global economy, where every single step would be a chain link node feeding in that data. 100%.
4: 100%. I think Yoda dropped off. Nope, oh, he's back now. Here, Yoda, I think we can move on to next question. Before Kingland, what projects did you keep up to date with? Do you still hold any of these other projects today? So, I, I think I took this. The general crypto path that many did, so I kind of stepped first into Bitcoin, and that was really what I was interested
1: in. And then the next step was Ethereum, getting into smart contracts, and those were like those were really the two projects that I was following. I kind of dabbled a little bit in the shitcoin
3: arena with <laughs> XRP and VChain, of all things. But like that's before I actually understood crypto. Like I just saw the narratives, thanks Reddit. And once I actually learned the more underlying technical foundations of it. And got into chain link you know i've pretty much abandoned everything else besides bitcoin and ethereum so i, I kind of see bitcoin in general uh usually for the past couple of years i kind of saw it as like a meme coin mostly driven by the narrative being digital gold but at the end of last year when you kind of saw the the uh institutions putting bitcoin on their balance sheet actually become a reality something that you know was always memed you could say it was memed into reality into a sense so i kind of been taking bitcoin a little more seriously after that but generally kind of always been following bitcoin generally but mostly ethereum that would be like the uh, the og a project that i'm still following ever since i found out about it basically you know it's kind of one of those projects that just sticks with you and the main thing that really caught me with ethereum was that it had all the tokens, every single token was on Ethereum. Like no other network had any tokens at the time. And even now, everything's on Ethereum. So that that's kind of what stuck in my mind was that network effect. Why bother touching anything else like any other blockchain when clearly everything is on Ethereum? And so, you know, Chainlink makes Ethereum strictly better in basically every way. Connectivity, privacy, scalability. And so, the, yeah, Bitcoin and Ethereum, those are pretty much the only other two projects that I... Like support or advocate or like generally just have exposure to, and I have like smaller DeFi positions, but that was like after Chainlink, so it's mostly the Bitcoin, Ethereum, the Chainlink. That's like the I said that's like the golden trio. So if anybody asks me like any crypto, I'd recommend I would say the golden trio. I love that. A lot of our listeners actually hold the graph. Have you you uh, looked into the graph at all? Yeah, I think the graph. It's, it's kind of like the inverse of Chainlink almost, where, where Chainlink is mostly bringing data from off-chain to bring it on-chain.
1: The graph's basically the opposite. It's taking on-chain data, uh, indexing it, and
3: then making it available for front-end UI interfaces for, like, decentralized applications. And they're even, like, complementary. You can use uh, the graph as, like, a data source. So you can, like, refine on-chain data, process it, and then use Chainlink to deliver it back on-chain or even deliver it to a different chain. I think, like, the cross-chain application is the most clear. You just query the graph for some transaction data on, like, Polygon, and then you go and you deliver that on BSC or something. So I, I think it's – I can't, really like, really speak on, like, the uh, token usage or, like, the security aspect of it, but, like, from a high level of what they're doing. I think it's pretty much complementary. Like, Chainlink and the graph are both middleware, but, like, they're different
0: pieces of the middleware stack. I think a lot of our listeners are getting high because I know there's a lot of GRT holders in this in this room.
4: <laughs> uh, Yoda, you want to hit the next question? What excited you most about the Chainlink 2.0 white paper? Are you thinking about continuing your podcast series? So that, that
3: that's kind of a that's kind of a two part question. So for the Chainlink 2.0 white paper. I would probably be in the majority here of saying that the explicit staking mechanism was by far like the most exciting part. I mean, there was a lot of good information in that paper and a lot of things that kind of surprised me that was in there, the layer two mechanisms. But like as far as the explicit staking, like, you know, people have been talking about chain link and staking for a long time. You know, it was always something that was going to be needed in the network, not just necessarily like, specifically for the crypto economic security, but also just like the tokenomics of the link token itself. So bringing clarity of how explicit staking will actually work in the Chainlink network with the, the two-tier Oracle network model where the, the first tier explicitly stakes and then the second tier is like a backstop that decides when it's slashed, when the data is incorrect because the, that second tier has the, the greatest financial exposure to link and the greatest amount of cash flows and the, basically the, the greatest skin in the game to, to keep the network operational. So that explicit staking mechanism, I think like not only did it introduce it, But it kind of introduced the model where the as you increase the amount of nodes, the amount of crypto economic security continues to increase quadratically. So every node you add, you're getting greater and greater amount of crypto economic security. So while a network may only have like, I think the example given was like a network with 20 million dollars staked, could provide protection up to a network with like 900 million dollars or a contract with nine million dollars in it. they could protect that, that value because of the, the concentrated reward system that the chain, like, explicit staking mechanism used. So I, I would recommend like, if you're going to read the white paper, if you're going to read any section, I would say section nine. And it really goes in depth into like the background, like the game theory and the uh, the, the mechanics of it all. But it, it, it it's like, it's very technical, but I think it's, if you read it once or twice, I think you'll get the gist of it. And I think you'll get like the implications of it. And as far as like continuing the podcast series i think that's that's probably likely i kind of see that as like if i want to explain a concept in depth i can write twitter threads but like if i had if i was kind of thinking with the white paper if i wrote a twitter thread that would have been like 100 200 tweets like i don't know how many people would have actually read that but if i do you know an hour-long podcast i feel like that's more i get a lot more points across in that manner so i think like once large integrations happen or like new product releases happen. Like I imagine keepers will be upcoming at some point. I think, I don't think many people understand keepers, what they are, what they do. So that'll probably be a podcast of its own. And I'm thinking if people are interested, I could also do like a monthly or every so often kind of recap of the largest integration and kind of provide my thoughts. I think that's probably something people would be interested in. But generally, I'm kind of surprised, a little surprised at just how many people like tune in To the podcast and like the audio format, you know I've kind of always been in the the text mode on Twitter with the Twitter threads that are like a million billion lines long. But I don't know. It seems like people are really interested in this format as well. So if that's if that's something that people are really interested in, then I'm happy
0: to to keep providing information in this format. If I may, so I've read both your feeds and listened to the podcast, and just me personally, just for whatever reason, hearing it verbally explained. Um, just really resonates and lets you remember things better. I feel like we read so much on a daily basis, when there's like a menu, other tweets, this, this, and that. But when someone's actually telling you something directly into your ears, obviously, <laughs> um, it's kind of a whole different experience. I, I really hope you do continue that. Yeah, I think that's kind of a fair point. I mean, when you're on Twitter,
3: you're, you know, it's so noisy. There's just so much shit all over the place on Twitter. You know it kind of depends on who you're following and who you mute but yeah i think like depending on how well you can explain things you know with twitter you have you have to like choose your words very carefully or just because the space like you can't say very much until it devolves into nonsense but when it's more of a spoken format and you can actually explain things in a clear manner i think that i think that helps people so i'm glad to hear people enjoy listening to my voice
0: and listening to the things that i have to say 100 percent. Like you said, like there is so much noise on Twitter, and you do, like I don't know. um, Everyone spends a different amount of time, but the more you're there, the more you're intaking, right? And I've just, just I've never been able to quote a tweet to someone, but I've been able to reverberate and like copy things you've said on that podcast just because it clicked better. Yeah, I think it's generally like people
3: learn in different ways. Some people, it's their uh, more auditorial or listening to things is how they click with things. Some are more visual, some like reading the content more. Like everybody has their own different way of learning. And, you know, the, the written content, you know, things on smart content, everything on Twitter, that's kind of, you know, that's always going to be the go to. But I think with the more spoken format, it kind of just broadens the audience.
2: So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that more. Hey, Chainlink, hey, so hey, uh, this uh, is Crapped Up. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. How about you? All oh, good, man. Good to hear you. You know, you definitely got to do a podcast on Keepers, please. Yeah,
3: we'll do. I think Keepers is one of those things that people really they they either think of Andre's Keeper project, which that's not what Chainlink Keepers is, or they think it's they think it's like an Oracle delivery mechanism, which is really not what it is. It's kind of a TLDR. It's a it's a transaction automation service. So liquidating positions, harvesting yield. You know, smart contracts aren't autonomous. You need something to ping the contracts to do something. And that something can be a decentralized keeper network. So I could definitely get into that more because there's a lot of different use cases. So it's, it's, it's almost in a way it's kind of like Arbitrum where you're using an Oracle network, not necessarily for data delivery, but you're using the Oracle network because it's a trusted network of nodes that have a proven history of doing blockchain related transactions and you can leverage that for any type of transaction. So keepers is kind of like a
2: piggybacking off of that. Hey, CLG, uh, you had touched on data being organized on chain with GRT. Um, I was curious if you could like touch on the importance of Town Crier and the impact that'll have on the ecosystem, and if you could kind of just cover like some practical use case examples.
0: Yeah, so with Town Crier, that's kind of one of those things
3: where it's it, it's based upon hardware. Um, Hardware-based encryption, basically. So it's kind of like a black box where it, there's a separate part of the processor, like an Intel processor, called a uh, or with, uh, with Intel, it's Intel SGX. With AMD, I think it's like Trust Zone or something. And then there's other implementations, but basically, it's like a separate part of the processor where all of the computation happens separately from the main part of the
1: processor. Meaning the operating system, all the software can't see what's going on there.
3: So in a in a um, ideal situation. It would be a black box environment where these computations happen privately where not even the person running the computer or the server or wherever the processor is you can't view the data in it and you can't view the computation Uh, unfortunately with current existing implementations of trust execution environments there's been a lot of different like vulnerabilities released like side channels attacks where if you have physical access to the hardware you can like manipulate the voltages on the motherboard or on the cpu and extract data so that's kind of why we haven't seen TEs really used at scale. But I think the tech will improve over time, and we'll see things like open source hardware, where it's a lot more verifiable. You don't have like the Intel management engine running in the background doing God knows what. So I think, as far as like implications, we'll basically see contracts running in Towncrier or in like uh, this trusted execution environment. because Towncrier is it's more like fetching data, computing on it and then deriving some kind of result and then delivering that result. So you can kind of use Town Crier to prove that data came from a specific web server, kind of like what Deco does, but using trusted hardware. You can prove like not only data came from a specific source, but then you can prove that this computation you did on the data was uh, legitimate. So TEs are really about privacy of computation. and It's about integrity where you can guarantee that some computation happened the way it was supposed to happen. So current um, TEs are not perfect
1: right now but it's kind of one of those things where it doesn't necessarily need to be perfect if you use TEs in combination with like decentralization and crypto economics only one of those
3: mechanisms needs to work correctly and you can rely more on the integrity aspect rather than the privacy aspect so it's kind of like a belt and suspenders so I, that's kind of the reason why uh, deco was a large focus because instead of like hardware-based cryptography Deco is like zero knowledge proofs, which is like software cryptography, and that's a lot more. Uh, it's a lot more robust. You can't necessarily do as much computation, but you don't have to rely on hardware assumptions. So I kind of see the future of privacy and chainlink in
1: the deco sphere with zero knowledge proofs. I think that's that's where we'll see a lot of data providers
2: get onboarded because they can keep their data private. That's what I was going to ask you too.
1: If it shifted more from hardware focus to software focus. Because it seemed like Intel and AMD, you know, there was a lot of hype of, uh, that we were going in that direction with Town Crier, and then it shifted because it, it
2: seemed like the development wasn't happening as quickly as, as people anticipated.
3: Yeah, that, that, that's kind of on Intel. I mean, like, if they, if they actually created a secure implementation and actually pushed it, then, you know, Town Cryer may already be used, but because of, you know, hardware manufacturers and just the Difficulty of the technology, we just haven't seen that pushed out. So things are definitely going more towards software in that aspect. Hey, you. I think we're ready for the next question.
1: Do so you
4: have any Solidity or Web3 experience? If so, have you worked behind the scenes on any big DeFi projects using these skills? What about the general coding experience? So I kind of have a, like a bit of a
3: computer science background. So I kind of know uh, Java, C plus that kind of arena. I can, I can read solidity code, and that's how you know I kind of navigate my way through DeFi summer. You know, avoiding the rug pulls was actually reading the contracts, which is it's actually it's fairly simple. You know, one programming language, you can kind of learn almost any other one if it's the same kind of, uh, you know, object oriented, you can pretty much learn every object oriented language. So I I haven't been like behind the scenes of any major DeFi project from a development perspective, but I think like just having a computer science background has helped a lot in just like my understanding of the crypto technology and just crypto projects in general. It allows you to kind of filter out the bullshit and the noise, you know, when people promise the world you can actually read into it, you know, at a first glance and see, like, all right, you know, artificial intelligence coin. All right, this is probably bullshit. Like, you, you know what's possible with the technology. And so you can actually determine what's actually possible. So, yeah, I, I have, like, a bit of a coding background. I haven't, like, developed anything major here. But I would say if you're looking to learn, if you really want to, like, learn the first principles of crypto, then I think getting into programming would be the ideal solution. So, you know, just just begin with solidity it's fairly simple like there's a lot of <laughs> the evm is all, kind of tricky there's a lot of security implications but if you're just creating random stuff on test like then i don't know there's a lot of things you can do you can actually get your hands dirty with chain like oracles so you can, you know that's another aspect is if you know solidity and you know how contracts work you actually understand why chain link is so important and why you know your contracts need this external uh, connection source because you can really think of chain link as like an API, if you're a web developer, Chainlink is that connection to external services that your contract needs. So the, the example that Sergey always brings up is with Uber, Uber, they just built the core business logic. Then they connected it to the payments API, the GPS API, um, and the messaging API, you know, without those APIs, which you can think of those as like chain link services, your main contract wouldn't exist. So that's kind of my roundabout answer of saying yes. And I recommend for you to learn
0: programming, if at all possible. 100% and for you guys interested in Solidity, if you actually go to the website in my bio, under the Learn tab, we've started to compile a Solidity resource guide for anyone looking to get into coding. Um, and if anyone listening actually has resource links that you can provide, please DM me. We're trying to build up that library and really build it out. Before, Before we, we switch topics, but, topics oh, can I just I ask about you? learning Solidity? What books you um, Jane, do you recommend trying to get a base in like Java or C++ before attempting to learn Solidity or do you think it's possible for people with zero coding experience to start from scratch with something with like cryptozombie? I think you could definitely start from scratch. Like it's one of
3: those things where Solidity is kind of like JavaScript a little bit where, you know, you learn what programming language and you kind of get the gist of how to think like a programmer. Because that's really the main aspect when you're learning a language or learning to program is thinking in more of a logic driven manner, if X then Y type manner. So I think no matter what language you start with, you're going to get the ropes in that aspect. So if you want to develop smart contracts, then I say go straight for Solidity. Just, you know, the, the crypto zombies example, that's a good one. It's like a very intuitive uh, beginner kind of step by step of the different aspects. But, you know, I, I would definitely recommend going with Solidity if you want to go specifically the smart contract route.
2: Awesome. thing. you. So, I'll, I'll add, if you uh, already know JavaScript, Solidity is not much of a joke. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, you, you learn one type of programming
3: language, like the, the, the groundwork is kind of the same. You have constructors, you have functions, you have variables, you have imports, like you have all these different tools. Some languages, really, the difference is just how those um, how they're defined, how they interact with each other. If something's strongly typed or weakly typed uh, with variables, if if you just want to learn like a simple programming language, then I would recommend Python, where it kind of ab- abstracts away a lot of those underlying complexity. Where with like C, you would have to manage your own memory, but with Python, it kind of just handles everything for you. You can turn a string into an integer, you know, do whatever the fuck you want, but Specifically smart
0: contracts, I would go with Solidity. That's amazing. Thanks so much, Shane and God. You what I think we can hit the next question. What was your
3: favorite project of DeFi Summer and why? I was gonna say DeFi Summer, that was a that was a pretty wild time. You know, every day you would wake up and there'd be some new b- bullshit scam. Thing, it's a food token with like a million percent APY, and then by the time you go to sleep, it's like already rug pulled. So that, that was kind of like a whole landmine. I think like Compound Comp, that really started that whole season. Like once it honestly surprised me. Like when Comp launched, I thought it was so overvalued, but then the total value locked at Compound just absolutely exploded. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Yield farming actually has some power behind it. I think a lot of other people realize that. And the one I jumped on early. And the one that's always kind of stuck with me, and it's kind of my favorite from that era, is Wi Fi urn. So I've always I've kind of been following Andre and I IEarn as it was called since like the beginning of the year when I was just looking for yield. It was a useful tool. So I, I knew about Andre and so launching a token, it's like, oh fuck yeah, I'm gonna farm for this. And that was in that was that was like the only project I actually farmed pool to in with the ninety eight percent die, two percent wi fi pool. And that one ended up being very profitable and it ended up being a very legitimate project with a very natural community. I think that, well, unfortunately I sold, I sold way too many Wi-Fi when it was like under $500. That, that was a bad move because my strategy with the farms usually was like when I would farm it, I would sell at least half right away and then I would keep the other half. And then depending on how legitimate the project is, that would kind of determine the next moves. But like from that whole era, urine was like really the primary one that stood out. And ever ever, ever after, yearned, everyone was looking for the next Wi-Fi. They were looking for that next that next hit that they could find. And the only one that really resonated with me afterwards was sushi. I, you know, Uni and Hayden's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But you know, sushi swap, Uniswap with the token, basically that seemed very legitimate to me. And then you know, Chef Nami happened, and then E-Rug, and then that kind of turned me off for sushi for like a long time until it turned into a completely different project, and then. Now they're doing things like Kashi, and Osen, and, you know, all these other different things. So I would say, like, out of DeFi Summer, there was a lot of things. But Yearn and SushiSwap, those were, like, the two titans that came out of there alive and actually defined something real. And, you know, each project kind of has its has its issues with it. I, th- I thought that the hard cap of Wi-Fi was really dumb. Like, I was fully expecting Wi-Fi to be inflationary. And so that that's why I sold as much as I did. I didn't realize that they were just going to cap it. Like, ah, shit. Okay, that was a bad move. But you live and learn, I suppose. So, yeah. you're. That, that was like the model, community-driven project. I don't know if we'll really see anything like that again. I mean, people who farmed Fi farmed it because they liked a new DeFi. They weren't necessarily looking for the yield. They liked the project. So I don't know if we'll ever see something like that again. But, hey, I'm hopeful.
2: Jesus, my head was spinning yam and everything else you were doing dude. you were farming before the fields existed and I was just trying to play catch up and I'm like oh my god what what the hell's going on here yeah yeah, yeah, yam
3: I forgot about that one that was an interesting one where (laughs) the rebase token that broke and then everyone thought that they lost their money and then yam v2 and Ram v3 I don't know what they're doing anymore but yeah that that was a wild time every day it was some random (laughs) some random bullshit but it, it was a fun time all the threads that I created during that time it's cause I was, you know, trying to learn how to actually dig through these projects. So I just kind of, I
2: kind of documented it as I went along. Did you take any It'll, big
0: losses in DeFi summer accidentally running into a pool? That wasn't exactly what you thought it was. So I'm, I'm more, uh, way to put it. I'm not as like risk heavy as I think people expect me to be in the yield farming area. Like I, I usually almost never touch pool
1: two. I always touch pool one if it's something where, you know, there's no admin contract, there's no admin key. Like, I, I take a very conservative route to
3: that. But the, the one I did ape into was EMN, uh, that the one project that people thought was, that was like the great new Andre project it had a bug and then everybody lost their money on that one. So I lost a little bit on that one. That was kind of a minor one. But after that event, I kind of just stopped apeing into things. Like, I, I know it works for some people where they legitimately see a token launch two seconds ago. And then they buy a hundred thousand and sell it for a million like 10 minutes later. That's not for me. That's uh that, that's just gambling in my opinion, which is fine. That's just, you know, that's not what I'm in here for. Yeah, so people are still
1: doing that to this day. Bug. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, full that, bull market mode. You look at fucking Dogecoin and all these other
3: projects. Like it's clear we're in that part of the market, that market season where you can just jump into whatever and you'll probably make money yeah, Where everyone feels like a genius.
0: I feel like people were spectating and like, this can't make sense. It doesn't work 800,000 EPY, but just sitting on the sidelines and like, not trusting it, like you just, the FOMO was insane. Just seeing people just quadruple them, their money in a few days on something called like Yam or whatever. Like it, the FOMO out of DeFi summer was something I don't think we've seen since like 2017.
3: Yeah, there was definitely a moment where people shut off their brain and just aped in. Like somebody would post a contract address. Didn't matter what it was. People would just ape into it anyways. Like, <laughs> it was like even at the time, I thought, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, why is this happening? But then I just kind of went along with it. And then we had like the kind of the things like uh, simmered down for like the rest of the year after that. But I think things are kind of kicking up again. And I think we're going to have DeFi summer B2. I don't know if it'll necessarily be like this summer or like how long or or when really but i think i think there'll be definitely some catalysts that happen and this whole fucking craze you know beyond just you know the doge coins and the ethereum classic pumping i think we'll see like a lot more defi summer
0: type things happening again my favorite analogy where they were just gta money glitches and people were just trying to get in before <laughs> the patch.
3: <laughs> that's a good way of
0: thinking about it. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, a new a new glitch drop. Try and get in before your account gets banned. Yeah, it kind of reminds me almost like a uh, old school Runescape money making methods. Like that—that's what it Dude, felt like. Exactly. You would find some way. You you would find some way, like where nobody else found this way of making a shit ton of money, and then somehow the info got out, and then it the, your yield gets dil- diluted because of it. Uh, so I thought of it exactly like that. Multiple Runescape money dumpers are the reason I don't farm it seems too good to be true they'll take your money like that as a kid Chase, did you have a question i thought you raised your hand at one point
2: yeah um kind of switching gears a little bit i mean you had kind of talked about um, you know the shenanigans that happen in DeFi. uh i just wondered if you could touch on fair sequencing service and the importance I'll play for DeFi adoption by like larger institutions and how you think that will kind of affect the demand in the future for dons yeah so with
3: fss for sequencing that's essentially what that refers to is a solution for minor extractable value i think it goes by like some different names now but that's mev where a miner can arbitrarily reorder include exclude transactions in a block they can completely manipulate the ordering of transactions in a block because usually it's done by the isp but if it's more profitable to front-run transactions, then miners or with Flashbots,
1: people who pay the miners, get to do that. So with FSS, what it's basically doing
3: is it's separating the transaction ordering from miners and putting that into a DON or an Oracle network to do that ordering on a contract's behalf. And kind of the way it works is it's it's backwards compatible with, uh, like, Ethereum, so there's no hard fork needed, like some other solutions. It's, it's You need to just kind of tweak your contract. And you
1: get this fair ordering. And basically what that allows is for something like a decentralized
3: exchange. If you're a large trader and you're on Uniswap and you do a massive trade or really any other decks, you're probably going to get front ran and you're going to get higher slippage. And there's other kind of economic attacks with MEV and the worst case scenario. Miners can uh, like reorganize the blockchain,
1: and keep basically destroy the consensus of the network, like worst case scenario. So with something like FSS. That's kind of one of those things where it's using an Oracle network, not for data delivery, but using it for a decentralized service.
3: And in this aspect, it's the ordering of transactions. And from the perspective of enterprise, I think one of the mechanisms in FSS is the ability to like encrypt a transaction, then order it in an Oracle network and then decrypt it. And I think a lot of institutions are going to want that because, you know, when they're trading billions of dollars, you know, their movements can really move the market and they can seriously get front ran. And, you know, the, the transparent nature of DeFi is great, but it kind of has its trade offs in that aspect. So once we have FSS operating at scale and it's used by things like uh, like synthetics, for example, if they were to integrate it, that would prevent not just like the front running of trades, but that would prevent like the front running of Oracle updates. So that would protect SMX stakers from getting diluted from arbitrage. Uh, between the oracle price and the current price. So, I think that's uh, MEV is kind of one of those things where it's people are starting to understand the issues and as the DeFi economy grows, the amount of value that's being extracted from users keeps growing and growing and growing. And so in MEV what we're kind of seeing is like two aspects where there's solutions that's trying to um democratize it, making MEV more fair so that everybody can access it. That's kind of what Flashbots does. That's uh, you know, it prevents like a cartel of miners stealing all all the MEV for themselves, and gives it kind of to the users, so to speak. But it doesn't actually solve the problem. And FSS, it's on kind of the other side of the spectrum, where it's actively trying to prevent MEV from happening in the first place. Because personally, as a user, I really don't give a shit where the profits from MEV go to. I just don't want my transactions to get front ran, basically. And FSS is something that would actually provide me that solution because it would prevent front running. And the manipulating of order, uh, the order of transactions, it prevents that manipulation in the first place. So I think FSS, it's one of those, those things where if a blockchain or a smart contract doesn't have it, people are seriously going to question the fairness and the legitimacy of that application. So it's just kind of like another one of those verticals of chain link that people don't fully get the, the implications of, but. You know, once it's operating at scale it'll become painfully clear like this is something we wanted the whole time 100 thank you for that chain like god yoda hit it can
4: you explain your uh pool with tetra node and how that project got started yeah so that that one was kind of a, an
3: interesting one so there's a plenty of different money markets out there Um, but with the Rari pool, what that was basically designed for is the ability for someone to deposit their link, use it as collateral to then borrow stable coins. Now you can do that on Aave and you can, um, well, I guess you can't do it on compound yet, but you you can already do that on other money markets. But the key thing with the Rari isolated money market was that you couldn't borrow the link, meaning you couldn't, you couldn't short link, meaning when you deposit link as collateral to them or stable coins, your collateral can never be borrowed by anyone, which not only means you're giving zero liquidity to shorts, which was something that just didn't exist before, but it also kind of lowers risk because,
1: you know, if if there is a shoddy collateral that could be used to borrow
3: everybody else's collateral and kind of wipe out everyone's positions. But if it's an isolated money market where you can't touch anyone's collateral, the only re- the only way your collateral would be wiped is if you got liquidated. And that's entirely under your control. So that pool was just kind of a bit of like an experiment of designing a pool where link holders could gain access to liquidity without giving liquidity to shorts. And so that that was something that didn't really exist at the time. And so I'm not sure how like the Rari project itself got started, but you know, launching with Tetra Note basically he's kind of a whale, so he had a lot of liquidity. And so that just kind of he reached out and it seems like the optimal solution to just kind of kind of rework one of the pools that he had into this <laughs> up-only pool, as it's so put, that now has uh, Ethan RGT in it. And more collateral can be added to that pool without introducing
4: any risk to existing depositors of uh, the collateral, which is nice. 100%. Yeah,
5: I think we can move on to the next one. What did you think of Lex Friedman's recent
3: podcast with Sergey? What were your major takeaways from this discussion? Yeah, so that, that recording, I think that's like the deepest that Sergei's really ever gone. It's like the his philosophical views. And I thought that aspect was very intriguing. Like when it talks about like uploading your mind into a virtual machine, and because a virtual machine doesn't age, that would basically mean you would turn immortal. And I always think like those kind of broader picture type things is always interesting to think about. And I think one of the the, the good points that that brought up is that the reason why the traditional or I guess the general public isn't begging for DeFi is because they already think that they have the benefits of DeFi. They think that the system that they have is transparent and fair to them. But the reality is that it's anything but and when things like robin hood uh make it painfully clear that you don't actually own your assets and you have zero clue what the risks you're taking on actually are i think that's when it becomes clear that defi actually has a demand so i th- I, th- I think with defi you know it's one of those things where people don't necessarily understand that they need it until they absolutely do and it's a worst case scenario where the whole entire financial system is collapsing and, you know, they're looking for a safe haven, DeFi becomes that lifeboat. So there, there was, I mean, it was a three hour recording. So there was like, they went over a lot of different things in that one. So if you have the time, I would recommend uh, listening to it. I had a Twitter thread where I kind of, I talked about like the broader, the broader points that were made, but I think the discussion about DeFi and then the discussion about more about like
0: what it would mean to be a human if you were uploaded to a computer, I thought those were pretty intriguing points. I have to ask your theory on the SN Morse code and Sergey being Satoshi Nakamoto. I have to. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that people are always looking for clues even if something is a
3: coincidence. I think that I think people I like seeing how passionate people are of trying to find those clues. I don't necessarily think that's like definitive of anything, but I think that if anybody were to know who Satoshi was, I think that Sergei would be one of the likely ones to know who that entity or who that group of people are. So I think Sergei being Satoshi, I think he would probably be too young at that time. That doesn't necessarily add up to me, but you know, there are the, the difference breadcrumbs out there about smartcontract.com and the Vietnamese email. So it, it's something that's interesting to
0: think about, but I would need something more substantial to actually, to unironically say SN yes, is SN. Yeah, do you think it's more likely he's just aware of the SN, was SN, and he's a giga-brain, he's like, trolling everyone, he's really smart. <laughs> I mean, that's a possibility, It, 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 w- it w- wouldn't put it past him, but
1: I'm not sure how much time he knows more. Probably, but I don't know how much time like he would spend on social media, I, I think that's like uh, one of the
0: least of his focuses. But wouldn't it be kind of a net positive to kind of just slightly lead people on to think you were? Him? I mean, in some aspects, I think so. Like, it would uh,
3: it would get some people interested, but then you know, if you could take it too far, you turn into a Charles Hopskin, and then you just kind of become like a poser. And I think that's I think that's like a slippery slope. So I, I wouldn't want him to like edge people on like that.
2: But it's an interesting theory. And Connor, I don't think that's Sergey's mo. You know, I mean, we 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 sat there and you know, off offline, you know, we talked with a couple of guys that you know are in the field of, of watching interviews and picking up signs, and and, and we're all conversating, and, and we all agree, man, there was something definitely behind, you know, his verbiage, his mannerism, his body language. There was a lot to it, you know. I mean, is it definitive proof? No. But I mean, if I was, you know, interviewing him or interrogating him, I would definitely be leaning in that direction.
5: Thank you for that crap, though.
4: you wanna hit the next question? Who do you respect most on crypto twitter besides link is there a group of people you have gotten relatively close with over the years?
3: I mean, there is way too many to name. So I feel like I would kind of piss people off if I didn't name them. But like back back when chain Twitter, like early early 2019, like when it was just like a group of like a dozen or two frogs, that group generally has kind of always stayed together. And so, you know, there's a lot of different, a lot of different chats, a lot of different, you know, areas where people still stay connected. So I think, like in general, uh, kind of like the people like Crypto Oracle, FinRekt, Chainlink Red Pill, Chainlink Bull, like there's way too many to name. But like the core OG Linkies, like that's they're always going to have like a special place in my heart. And like that doesn't mean I don't love the new Linkers as well. It's just that you know when you've been with the same people since link was like 17 cents and that everybody kind of treated the community as a joke and treated link as a joke and then now we're at their position that we're in now and
1: that you know things are going to keep going that the way that they are you know th- these kind of
3: connections they're not ones that are like really going to go away anytime soon and so there's plenty of other people that i respect inside the Chainlink community and the ethereum community and the DeFi community and even outside of crypto entirely but I think like the core OG Link community and they know who they are, you know, they're always gonna have a special place in my heart. I love that
5: Based, Coinyo to hit it.
4: How much has link changed your life? What would you be doing right now if link was not a thing? You know, I, I kind of genuinely have
3: no idea <laughs> like chain and crypto in general has kind of already absorbed my life for the past couple of years. So that's kind of it's kind of already defined me. But, you know, if, if I wasn't into chain link, I'd probably still be in school. I would probably be still, you know, doing fuck all during most of the day. I would certainly be a lot poorer, but, you know, I'd probably be playing a lot more video games. I think, like I ever since I got into crypto and really started researching things, that's really become like the core focus of what I spend my time on. Really, so I haven't, I, haven't, I don't spend too much thinking about the what have could have, should us. I think you know rather focus more on like what I can do now in my position. So you know, I don't know if it's destiny. I don't know if it's a coincidence or however the way that I got into the position that I am now, like within the community. I greatly appreciate it, and I, I would have absolutely no fucking idea how what things would be like if chainlink, or if I never stepped into the chainlink world. It's kind of interesting to think about, but yeah,
0: my life would certainly be entirely different in that regard. Yeah, I think I think personally it is destiny because honestly, um, I've only been in chainlink for maybe a year or so, but you've been like an awesome ambassador for the space, and just more and more new people that come to the base space, always always mentioning you always always are mentioning things that you're posting and you've provided a lot of value to the community. So I think I think it is destiny that you that you were chosen and you were on that path. I am curious though, like are you playing games now? You know the last
3: thing like I really played was a little bit of cyberpunk. But you know I, I really don't play as much games as I used to. Like the I, <laughs> the way it is for me, like I'm either super into a game or I just don't care about it at all. Like, it's either an on-or-off type thing. So for a while, it was old-school RuneScape. I had, like, three accounts, and I I still have some somewhere. Um, And for a while, it was, like, a little bit of Grand Theft Auto, and there was another one I can't remember the name of. But, it was kind of one of those things where it absorbs my life for a little bit, on and off again, and I probably haven't played anything in a couple years. It's just, I don't know, I can't really get into it anymore. It doesn't click for me. Did you accept any but, of those
0: RuneScape accounts? Get any ninety nines, at least a few hundred hours. I got 99, uh, 99 woodcutting, fletching, making, I think a couple other ones. Let's fucking but, like, go! Would,
2: of course, he did. <laughs> yeah, and but like I would I would restart too many times. Like I would want to do something different because like the beginning levels are the best. But yeah, the and then later like, on it counts. kind of gets grindy. That's why it yeah. never dies? You just want a new account over and over again. Yeah, you know, so, I, bought, I bought Cyberpunk and I played it for five minutes, and then I went back to you know Link Charts. <laughs> from it. Yeah, I mean it was
3: okay. It's just like games in general. it just it doesn't really click with me anymore. And like it's unfortunate, but it really is what it is at this point. Like I don't really have the time for it and, uh, now, anyways. Crypto's
0: kind of already absorbed that time, so I'm kind of fine with that. I think that's really important because. Most of my life, I I struggle playing too much video games and just not when I'm not doing school or when I'm not doing work, just gaming, because it was an outlet for stress. And it also was a social aspect to play with other people, like RuneScape or on Xbox Live, you know, the party chats and stuff. But I think if anyone listening does kind of feel like they game too much, if you kind of treat research and investing... In not, not even you could even download one of the apps that lets you invest fake money, I forget. It's where I started to how I practice. They just give you like five Bitcoin or something you can practice investing. And I, I in a whole year I went from playing uh video games probably seven days a week, eight to like ten hours a day to I haven't played in months and months and months since I've gotten into crypto. I really think that's a huge lane for people that either have a gaming problem or they want to transition away from gaming or they're good at gaming in general if you just apply game theory to these things you can be successful in real life and stop wasting time uh going for runescape (laughs) 99s
1: i think that some games they do have like definitive benefits like you said
3: in some areas it's more social interaction you know people of common interests getting together and rating um doing whatever together you know that that has its Mental advantages, gaming in general, relieves that stress. I think with Runescape specifically, I learned a lot about, like, you don't don't just want to trust random plebs, like, you're going to get fucked. I also learned a lot about, like, supply and demand, just, like, day trading on the grand exchange, virtual items. So I think that's, I think a lot of, like, at least in the early days of crypto, probably now, a lot of the crypto members are former or existing gamers because they get the, they get the value of digital tokens of digital items they like understand the grind and they understand it has fundamental value and i think that's also why some people get nfts because it's digital collectibles it's a better version of what you have in games and eventually all games all game items will be replaced with tokens and nfts so it's kind of it'll it'll the two communities will continue to mix together so it has its benefits but if you're playing you know Call of Duty from 8 in the morning to 2 in the morning, you know, you may have to want to reevaluate some things in your life.
2: You know, I've been gaming since 1974. You know, I mean, we're talking Star Trek with Galaxy, you know, X's and O's. And my poison today is Fortnite. I mean, I'll I'll play that during meetings, you know, and, and, you know, I'll get my quick fix. I'm in and out. And, and, and the adrenaline and, and the balancing that it does for me, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I could sit there and work on complex problems, take a break, and it rebases me. So, you know, the other thing I want to say, you know, or ask you is how do you not become a Jehovah Witness when it comes to link? I mean, I'm, I'm at the point everywhere I go, you know, my family used to get sick of it but now they see the value of it and they kind of look at me as a prophet nowadays and telling everybody about link, what's the best way to approach them balance. I mean, I've helped so many people and then I've seen them help other people and, and it's expanding exponentially and it's a great thing, but it's like a, a lot of times that's the only first thing and the only thing that comes out of my mouth. Yeah,
3: it's kind of one of those things where it's both a blessing and a curse. Like when you're super into something and it absorbs your mind kind of like a virus, and that's the only thing you can end up talking about. In my view, it's kind of one of those things where you should just kind of accept it. Like if, if it's something that's working for you and you want to be able to spread that knowledge to other people, I really don't
1: see that much downside to it. Uh, kind of explaining chain link to people. It's, I I enjoy explaining Chainlink to people who already have a general understanding of, like, crypto and blockchain, because then you can get into the nuances more, rather than, you know, with people who don't
3: understand crypto or blockchain at all, you really just have to stick to the narratives, the high-level stuff, like the huge implications, which is, you know, still, it could be fun to talk about, but I like getting into the nitty-gritty detail, so that's kind of where I focus most of the time talking to people, is, like, pretty much everything I do on Twitter and everything I'm doing here. For the most part, it's like it's always chain like something, blockchain this, DeFi that, which I'm totally fine with. And if someday I get bored of crypto, which I don't see happening, then I'll
0: transition to whatever the other thing I get obsessed with. Thanks
4: for that, chain Thank God Yoda, hit the next question. Walk me through the tech stack of chainlink feats
3: what integration using these feeds are you most excited for so with, with chain feeds like that, that's the service everybody knows Chainlink like for and it's it started out relatively simple there was just an aggregator contract and there were a few nodes. they would deliver the data to this contract you would medianize it and give you the value but now with the network scales there's a there's a little
1: bit more to it so when a new price feed launches three contracts get launched every time the first one is
3: the ocr feed and that's the one where nodes uh, continuously generate reports see if it should be posted and then aggregate it off chain and then deliver just a single transaction on chain that data and that goes into the ocr contract but other like DeFi contracts they don't connect directly to that contract usually what is used is a proxy contract on top of that and that proxy contract points to the ocr contract And what that allows for is if, for some reason, the OCR client breaks, works, it explodes, you know, whatever black swan event, then the proxy contract can switch over to a different contract, which is the Flux Monitor, which was the previous client version of Chainlink. So every Chainlink node operator, they're running two versions of the Chainlink node. They're running OCR, and then they're running like a backup Flux Monitor, which updates like once a day or something. And so if any issues happen, the proxy can seamlessly switch over to the backup, the update frequency can get increased and users would see no downtime at all. So like that, that's something that the chain link network when it first launched that didn't exist. But now that it's securing, you know, tens of billions of dollars, those are kind of like the back, the background advancements in tech that need to happen when you're running like a mission critical system. So as far as like use cases for it, you know, my favorite ones are like the OG ones really. So like we have Aave and money markets, you know, lending and borrowing is such a, fundamental component of the financial system that one still interests the hell out of me you know not just with tokens but you can lend and borrow anything game items real world assets uh, bills of lading uh, different like receipts you know there's so much potential so much price data you put price data on chain it allows you to not only create a money market on that thing but it also allows you to create a derivative on that thing. so like recently a lot of stock price feeds have gone live like amazon tesla netflix basically the fang stocks all those are live now and that's being used by synthetics to mint synthetic versions of those stocks so if you want exposure to you know the american stock exchange some of the largest companies in the world you don't actually have to live in america you don't actually need to be an accredited investor or trust a broker you know you can live in brazil or live wherever and you can get exposure to this asset that you would have never had the capability to And you know, that, that's such, like, a, a fundamental advantage of DeFi. And, you know, Aave and Synthetics. they've been with Chainlink since, like, Chainlink ever started launching and going live. But I still think they're one of the most impactful use cases. And, like, going forward, I think some of the more interesting ones is, like, central bank digital currencies, where they wouldn't be using price feeds directly because it's fiat. It's not backed by anything. You don't need a price feed to create a CBDC. But if you want to use a CBDC in Aave, or you want to use it in any smart contract, you need a price feed for that. So pretty much as the traditional system, as the digital euro launches the digital dollar, you know, the digital one, everything begins to be used more and more, those price feeds
1: will need to exist if those, you know, global currencies want to actually be integrated in DeFi and they're going to want exactly that. So the entire traditional system
3: is going to be onboarded because of Chainlink feeds. Thanks for
4: that chain uh, God. You to hit the next question. Speaking of Avi, what do you think about the use of Avi Flash Loans to exploit device protocols? Should the hackers, developers, or stakers be held accountable for the loss of funds? With
3: Flash Loans, it's kind of one of those things where you have permissionless technology. You know, once flash loans were created, the genie was out of the bottle. You know, even if Aave turned off flash loans, well, it still exists on Sushi Swap and Uniswap and DYDX and all these other protocols. So, I think when these protocols offer flash loans and something happens using it, they're not at fault. Just like, well, I don't want to get into that, to me, but basically, I think that, like they're just offering a service, and people can use that service for whatever they want. And so, I think the ones, if anyone would be held accountable would be the developers who created uh, a low quality application that was vulnerable to flash loans. Like if you're still using Uniswap as your price feed and then a flash loan happens and you get wrecked from that, like that should really be on you because it's clear that that's not a sound solution for your application. But I think with permissionless technology, people are going to use it in any way they want. And I think flash loans, they don't create vulnerabilities. They only reveal them. they democratize who can be a large whale you know, within the span of a single transaction. And so it's kind of you kind of think of it as like DeFi's immune system. It would be better for a DeFi application to be hacked when it only has a million dollars than when it has a trillion dollars. So it's better that we have these tools now because they're going to continue to exist and they're not going to go away. You know, we better battle harden our DeFi system now than wait until it's, you know. It becomes a systemic issue so i think flash loans have very legitimate uses for leveraging up on positions or arbitrage and a lot of other things but if you want to use it as malicious reasons well people use the internet for malicious reasons but we're not going to get rid of the internet you know it has it's a net benefit for everybody can you elaborate on what the basics of a flash loan are for people who don't know
1: that yeah so a flash loan is basically a uncollateralized
3: loan where You can borrow as much money as you want without any collateral with the condition that you pay back the loan plus a fee at the end of a transaction. And if you fail to pay it back, the entire transaction reverts. So it basically gives people a significant amount of liquidity that uh, always protects lenders because the loan is always paid back. Because if the loan is not paid back, the entire transaction reverts like the flash loan never happened. So it's basically a way of getting a lot of money and then you can do stuff with that money and then you can pay back that money and then you keep whatever the profits was from what you used that flash loan for. So it's kind of like a new financial primitive that only exists because of the blockchain. Thanks for that, COG. You ought
4: to keep going. What are your thoughts on Uniswap's TWP? Why is Chainlink a better solution? As I wrote
3: a smart content article with CEO about this one, it's really one I could talk about all day, but I, I can hit on like the main points. that with a TWAP, the idea is that people like that. The data is already on chain. There's no reliance on oracles, but a TWAP has serious like security implications on how it fundamentally works. So a TWOP is a time weighted average price that's taken from the Uniswap decentralized exchange. But because it's time weighted, what that means is that it becomes inaccurate during times of volatility and times of volatility is when you need accurate price data the most. So, you know, that's a terrible property to have. But to make it even worse, the only way uh, besides adding a bunch of liquidity, which is expensive, the the only way to increase the security of your TWAP feed is to make the time sample bigger. So instead of taking the average over 10 minutes, you take the average over the past hour, you know, and that that increases the tamper resistance because if you wanted to manipulate it, you would have to manipulate it over the entire hour. However, when you increase the time sample, you directly decrease the accuracy. And the inverse is true. If you want to increase the accuracy, you have to decrease the tamper resistance. So that's an inverse correlation, which is terrible, where if the value of your application goes up, and you need to up the security of your price feed you actually have to decrease the accuracy which makes absolutely zero sense for any protocol so what t are good for is if you have no other solution you know you just launched a token it's only on Uniswap. that's the only market then i could see using it but as the value secured goes up you're really going to want to upgrade to a chain link feed to get full market coverage so you're not just tracking one exchange and the ability to increase the security of your price feed without reducing the accuracy because you know you're never going to be able to scale your protocol that way and you know the, the answer given from most people is like well if you use uniswap twap you could just get prices on tokens you can't get like weather data you can't get uh, any other external resources that's entirely true but i feel like it kind of discounts the quality of chain link price feeds like they're they're exponentially higher quality than twap of any kind and that's why Chainlink doesn't use a TWOP. It uses the volume weighted average price, where it, it aggregates data from hundreds of exchanges, including decentralized and centralized ones, to create a single data point that uh, the only way to manipulate it from like a liquidity perspective is to manipulate the entire market-wide price. But at that point, the Oracle would still be accurate because that was the market-wide price. So, yeah, I, I could keep going on on this all day because people you know, really don't make this clear the people who offer t but t are not a solution for DeFi. They're a very, very niche solution that long-term are, are not suitable for securing real value.
5: Let's keep it moving, Yoda. Hit the next one.
4: What is your favorite chain integration so far by any project?
3: It's kind of a kind of similar to the other one. I I would say it's still like the fundamental underlying protocols of DeFi. So that would be like the Aave for money markets. That would be the synthetics for derivatives. That would be the DYDX for uh, leverage trading. So those are like I see those as like the core three protocols being used by Chainlink, and those are still like the ones that get excited over. Like yeah, (laughs) they're kind of old news at this point, but. You know there's such a fundamental component of DeFi, and because anybody can build on top of those protocols anytime another protocol uses aave or synthetics that's inherently a chain link integration so you have things like synthetics where it's a derivatives platform but what's really interesting is the cross asset swaps on curve where you can bridge two different liquidity pools like a stablecoin pool and the link pool you can use synthetic assets to
1: bridge between those two pools to get way more liquidity than you previously would have been able to. And that's possible because
3: synthetics is being powered by Chainlink. So I think as we see more and more uh, price feeds being launched, we'll see more and more use cases uh, come to fruition. And it'll be like the form of taking traditional financial services and making it defied. Defied? Yeah, that's a word or uh, creating entirely new services you know things like flash loans things that fundamentally couldn't exist in the traditional system so i think the most exciting integrations to see from Chainlink don't exist yet kind of like in the early 90s with the internet nobody would have imagined the most exciting use, use cases of the internet it was kind of like oh you could re- you could read you know you could send email you can send letters digitally <laughs> that's kind of like tokens you can send tokens but like. The fundamental use cases of DeFi and of crypto have not been realized. And we've only seen like 1% of what's actually going to be possible. So I'm, I'm still very bullish on the future of chain link integrations. You
5: got it, Yoda.
4: returns should someone expect for running a standard node is it a viable opportunity to make money without spending on large-scale server infrastructure okay kind of rapid fire so I, i think like once staking launches i think
3: there's going to be a lot of interest of people to earn yield on my node you know kind of leverage the reputational aspects of it so I think, like, with staking, I think that's probably a very likely uh, situation right now. I'm not necessarily, like, a DevOps expert, that's why I don't run one now, because I would have to, like, outsource it to another operator for me, and I would rather do something where I actually run the node myself. I think, like, in terms of, like, yield from nodes, there really isn't an answer, because it doesn't exist yet, you know, with, with staking and earning yield from that perspective, but also because every node's going to earn their own yield every node has different revenue, every node uh, feeds data to different feeds which pay them different amount of fees. So what we'll really see is like a scale where we'll see the most reputable nodes earn the highest amount of returns, but they'll probably have the highest amount of stakers to them. So what we'll actually see is highly reputable nodes will have slightly lower APR or APY, uh, but it's more, you know, you're less likely to get your stake slashed when you delegate to that node. And then you can have more of like the risky nodes Where they may provide you much much higher yield double to triple digits but you're much more likely to get slashed because that node did something wrong you know and you delegate it to an unreliable node so there really like isn't an answer there i think it'll probably be similar to like eth yield from proof of stake but the more amount of people staking the less the yield will be but as the amount of fees and the adoption of the chain like network grows then the amount of yield grows so it's all entirely dependent on the amount of adoption and in terms of like
0: hardware requirements, running a chain link node, it's you don't necessarily need like large scale server
3: infrastructure. What you need is reliable infrastructure. And you know, chain link nodes, if you're only doing a single price feed, you know, the hardware requirements are very low. If you're doing hundreds of price feeds, they're gonna be a little bit higher in that aspect. So, you know, it kind of just depends on the operational size of your chain link node operation. But what really matters is having something hyper reliable. Having a lot of backups, you know, having a lot of like fail safe and a lot of uh, disaster recovery systems, like that—that's actually what matters for running a Chainlink node. Is that hyper reliability to maintain your revenue,
1: to maintain the reputation of your node? And you know that's not something that requires a
3: lot of hardware. That just requires expertise and a lot of knowledge of DevOps and you know cloud infrastructure, server infrastructure. So that, thats kind of why Chainlink node operators—they're like proof of stake the delegation pools. They're like uh, telecommunication enterprises like Deutsche Telekom. You know, they're companies who know how to uh, deploy infrastructure. They know how to manage it and they know how to handle situations that may be unforeseen downtime or being to acquire gas or acquire ETH when the gas price absolutely explodes. So I think
1: inevitably in the future it'll be easier to run a chain like node and it'll be very, very easy to delegate to
3: existing nodes. And you know, It's not like Ethereum where you delegate to the network and everybody gets the same yield. Every node's going to give you a different yield because every node's taking on different risk. Every node's earning different revenue. So you know it's going to be it's going to be very heterogeneous in that regard.
0: Hey, eighteen. I think this is a great time for you to ask your question about staking.
2: Hey, CLG. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, While we're on the topic of staking. my question pertains to not so much when staking will happen, but more to what you think the trigger mechanism is for uh, Chainlink to initiate staking. Is it um, a market? Is it a market-driven event? Is there additional infrastructure needed? Um, do you think they're waiting for the Ethereum upgrade? Is it a inflection point in network growth? What do you think needs to happen for staking to begin? In my, in my personal view,
3: how I kind of see it is that the launch of staking probably isn't going to be a binary thing where one day we don't have it, the next day we do have it. I think that what we'll see is like a rollout where the more the services that are more deterministic like uh, keepers or VRF, where either you do the service or you don't do the service, that's much more easier to design a staking system around. And while things like price feeds, they're continuous data sets, so there's a lot more questions of determining if a price value was actually legitimate, you know, because you may have not deviated from the aggregated report, but the aggregated report may have been completely wrong. So. You know, if, even if your node was off by, like, 0.1%, should you be slashed for that? 1%, you know, 10%, how much should you be slashed for each percentage deviated away? So the issue isn't necessarily, like, actually coding the contracts for it. It's actually developing the uh, crypto economics. So, like, when you look at a system like Ethereum, they've been planning proof-of-stake since 2014. And proof-of-stake launched, uh, you know, just at the end of last year, so that was like six years in development and Chainlink launched in 2019. So I think like we're still going to see development. It's kind of one of those things where it shouldn't be rushed because if a half-baked version goes out, that's going to be a detriment to the security of the network and the detriment to all of the users of Chainlink. So I think the the need for staking is derived from the need for more crypto-economic security. So, you know, kind of in the way that chain link is structured today, it can secure a lot of value based entirely on the implicit incentives of nodes having financial exposure to the link token, having uh future revenue at stake and the reputational uh, uh the reputation as a business uh, on stake. And that provides a lot of crypto economic security already. But as the network continues to scale and as the network begins securing protocols with like a trillion dollars locked up in it and more, then the need for explicit staking becomes much more apparent, especially for those price feeds that secure that value. So generally, my answer is that we'll see kind of a rollout of different services over time. We'll probably see something on test way before something on mainnet. So it'll be clear you know, once staking begins to roll out. But the need for staking will really be derived from the need for additional forms of security that can't be achieved through implicit staking or an increase in the number of nodes So I don't think it's necessarily waiting for, like, E2. I think it's getting the economics right, and it's getting to a point where it's worth allocating, you know, a large amount of resources to ensure that this can actually roll out safely because with the pace of Chainlink right now, with so many integrations, the level of security provided by the network is sufficient for the value it secures. So a big focus is on getting integrations, getting a lot of users. And when you get a lot of users and those users scale up, then you could prioritize security uh, in the aspect of explicit staking and provide your large network effective users a large amount of security through
0: additional explicit staking in addition to the implicit staking. So, hopefully, that kind of generally answers your question. It does. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Of course.
5: Happy to help. Yeah, let's keep rolling
4: this is my last question for the night before i ask i just want to thank youtube for letting me use the base space i would like to thank the viewers for coming out and showing love finally i would like to thank jingling god for being such an amazing guest Everyone spam 100 in the chat for CLT. The question is, do you care about Chainlink price action, or are you beyond the point of concern with your holding size? I appreciate the love.
3: I want to thank CryptoMU as well for having me. Let me take over this room and answer a bunch of random questions about Chainlink and gaming and all these other things. So, I especially appreciate everybody too. everybody who's been following me and everybody who's listening uh, during this you know multi-hour and uh, q a session with clg and so w- with the link price you know when you've been in crypto for a while and once you reach a certain scale you kind of become numb to the volatility like i entered crypto like <laughs> like at the peak of the bull market last season and so most of my experience in the market has been a bear market where everything bleeds You know, link was kind of the exception to that. So, you know, I've been kind of protected in that regard. But, you know, over time, you kind of just become numb to the day-to-day volatility movements, even during, you know, the only times it really becomes apparent, you know, Black Thursday type events. But uh, generally, you kind of just become numb to it over time. But I think price is something that can't necessarily, like, be ignored because the price is really what... whether people like it or not, it, what it's what brings attention to a project. And in the case of Chainlink, it directly provides security. So the higher the price of link, the more valuable the subsidy allocation becomes, meaning more Oracle networks can be launched or using less amount of tokens on a per token basis, which essentially means every individual Chainlink token, as the value rises, uh, is able to collateralize more data and is able to be used To purchase more oracle services thereby providing value to everybody who is in the ecosystem whether they are exposed to link or not so it's it's kind of one of those things you grow numb to it but the general trend it's something you want to see you look at the long-term trend of link and it just you know it becomes clear what it's doing and what it's likely to keep doing so like i I don't worry about the day-to-day movements that much i know i used to be one of those people who check their crypto portfolio like every minute of the day now i check it like maybe once a week or something like it's just not something that's at the top of my mind necessarily i have many many other things to focus on but you know it's it's something that's not going to be ignored and if anybody tells you they don't care about the money they don't care about the price they're they're only in it for the tech that's probably because they got wrecked and they lost like 90 percent of their portfolio and now they have to be in it for the tech so you know, it's kind of unfortunate for them don't want, don't want to shit on them but that's just kind of the this, this state of reality people are in it for the tech they're also in it for the money it's kind of in with each other if, if crypto didn't have price action nobody would be in crypto really or at least it would be much much smaller so it's like a it's a necessary component
4: for the few
0: people that actually Are in it for the tech, right? Like, if you are in an industry that you feel is isn't right for you, or you're in you're studying a degree that isn't what you think may be that profitable, or there's not that great future. You do see chain link or blockchain in general. How how do you? Uh, what job opportunities or job security do you see in the chain link or blockchain space for people to look out for? I think. I think the positions would be mostly the same. Like you have
3: you have developers who just want to create an ICO, pump it up and then exit with that. But most of the actual DeFi builders who create fantastic products, they're not in it strictly for the money. They're in it specifically because they want to make the world a better place and they want to be able to leverage smart contracts to create uh, a financial system or create a communication system, basically, if you boil it down. In a way that's much more efficient than what we have, so you can really focus on the tech, with the mo- monetary aspect being like a background where like it helps, but you don't necessarily need to focus on it. So if your if your interest is just in the tech, and like for me, for it's primarily because of the tech that uh, the the implications of the tech, you know, you can go a long way in crypto, and the, the monetary aspect can help you fund what you want to do. And it can help you boost whatever project you create and it especially helps you bootstrap a community. But you can, if you want to focus on the tech, you know, just build something, become a developer, launch a project or join an existing project, launch a chain link node or become a community ambassador, you know, do something unofficial, just do whatever you want to do and just let the monetary aspect, you know, don't let that become the focus because then you're going to be easily corrupted and you're going to, you know, you, you're, you're going to, you're going to see no, the moral boundaries you have would wither away if you just focus on the price value. So really the way to actually navigate your way in crypto is to focus on the tech. Because you know when you notice when things go into a bear market, all the moon boys, everybody who's just like win airdrop, they all drop away. And the only people left are the people who actually do give a shit about the tech. And so that's why I'm kind of grateful I did start crypto in the bear market because I was only surrounded by people who actually were in for the tech. Because they were building, you know, they were building Uniswap, they were building Compound, they were building Aave, they were building these protocols. That when a bull market did come, you know, they were rewarded for that. But that wasn't their goal. Their goal was creating protocols. And if the next bear market comes, they'll still be here. You know, those are the kind of people that I respect, and those are the people that are going to build
0: the best protocols, in my opinion. Yeah, I started building my portfolio in the bear market as well, or at least. uh,
1: at the very least
0: looking into crypto during the bear market so like the tech speaks to me because i see like like you said you just expect things to bleed but i think a lot of people are realizing when they're hitting these 100x 500x 10x whatever it is they i think they're starting to realize they can't do that 100 times in a row and if they think they can they're gonna lose everything um and so i think that's like a huge uh kind of uneasiness and people are trying to find a way to still fit into the future without having to just always be correct in market buys. Um, yeah. It, like with, with
3: crypto, once your portfolio reaches a certain size, it becomes less about hitting that next hundred X and it becomes a lot more about preserving what you have. So like the positions you take and the allocations you take become very different where you're not trying to ape into every single thing. You're not trying to just get the monetary aspect. You're just trying to preserve what you have and then actually focus on the protocols which have long-term value, which generally are the protocols that uh, provide value for users. And you get rewarded for helping those protocols provide value to users. So like with tokens, they're a very good incentivization mechanism for getting a lot of disparate people around a common goal of building some system or coordinates, coordinating uh, some mechanism. But the goal shouldn't be you know pump the token because that's not sustainable. That's just going to leave people left holding the bags. And that's like a, that's a negative community. That's a zero sum community. What you really want is people focused on the tech and they get rewarded because
0: of that, if they actually build something useful. Hey CLG, uh, I
2: had a question. It's a little bit of a uh, thought experiment though. Um, so when we think about chain link, you know, we typically associate with like DeFi and on-chain
0: functions. I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts on what the future may look like or future applications of the future in five to 10 years when 5G and the Internet of Things are at kind of peak adoption and Chainlink makes the jump to being integrated with hardware. I think what you would really see is that, you know, what what I
3: always enjoy, you know, kind of talking about and kind of, you know, just envisioning is a future. Where
1: chainlink gives people control of their own data. So when you look at something like Candid, you look at something like Deco, uh, decentralized
3: identity mechanisms, where it allows people to actually take control of their own data. They may have all these devices that's generating tons and tons of data about them and about their surroundings. But if we're just giving that up for free, then you know you're not actually benefiting from this advancement. You're just getting you know you're just getting spied on more. You're
1: just getting manipulated more. But if you can actually gain control of those data sets and you can choose to
3: monetize it if you so choose to, you know, I I think, you know, with zero knowledge proofs of Deco and Candid, being able to create a decentralized identity and allow other entities to use your data in a privacy-preserving manner where they can only prove things about data, but they never see the data itself. You know, so so as 5G rolls out more, everything just keeps generating petabytes of data per second, and that just keeps expanding. And we need more ways of analyzing it i think that chain in that aspect it'll be like a filter of not just finding the data that's actually useful for people and what's actually true or not i kind of think of chain as like truth as, as a service but it really gives people control of their data again you know they can export their data from existing services create their own decentralized identity protocol own their own data and then be able to prove things to other people without you know, revealing who they actually are. So I think like that's kind of like a long-term vision of not just price feeds, not just DeFi, but kind of trading self-sovereign entities who can actually prove things about themselves in, in, in a way that they desire. And if you don't want to give up any information about yourself and you don't want to monetize anything, you should have the choice to be able to do that. You know, I think most people would uh, monetize
0: their data sets, but hey, people should have the choice 100%. Um, honestly, I think I'm going to wrap it up here. Chantley, um, God, do you have any closing thoughts you want to give all the listeners?
3: Uh, I just want to say thanks for tuning in, everybody. Like I, I can't express this enough of how much I appreciate your support. Like, everybody here and everybody who's not here, just within the community, like, it's the reason why I post threads. It's the reason why I make recordings and you know, I interact with the community every single day of my life. So I, I just want to say thank you to everyone. In the community. Thank you, MU for hosting this. Thank you, uh, Yoda, I don't think is in here, but for having the questions and that very interesting way of presenting
0: it. So, yeah, I just want to say thanks and we're all going to make it. 100%. Thank you, Chainlink God, for coming on the base space. I mean, this has been an unreal episode. So much education value value um, was provided here. I mean, I see a lot of OGs, but I also see a lot of new new accounts in here. So I'm sure there's people in here that did, don't even know what Chainlink is, and you just you just educated on, on them on that. Uh, if you guys are not already, please follow Chainlink. God, please follow Yoda. These are really quality people to follow on the Twitter space. Thank you to all the speakers that were tuning in, all the listeners. Um, I my, my DMs are flooded with questions, guys. Sorry I didn't get all the questions. Um, but this has been super base and uh, Chainly got it again. Really, really appreciate it all the time. Of course, stay based and link build, everybody. <laughs> yes. Get at least one cube. If you don't have one cube, please just get one cube.
5: <laughs> You'll thank us later. All right, guys, I think I'm
0: going to close it out. Thanks so much, COG. Of course. Oh, Thanks, wait, guys. hold on. Uh, do I have permission to upload any of the things you said? Because we do record these things. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Have a good one, everyone. You too. Have a good night, CLG.
1: Get another 99 for me.
0: <laughs> Yo, every, everyone who's still in here, I'm going to drop a huge thank you tweet. If you guys can go and show that tweet some love, would really appreciate it. Please reply to the tweet. Um, it'll mean a lot to CLG. Just show him he took a lot of time, took an hour and a half of his time to come in here. And it was absolutely incredible. Um. Then I'll probably just be uploading this whole thing raw again since it's just so much alpha and I want it to be out as soon as possible and chopping up the clips just delays everything. He gave us permission so let's just let it rip and hopefully my internet doesn't go out. It should be up by morning. Thanks y'all.